Today's episode of The Seam Heads is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe to your favorite podcasting app. wins it off Hader in the bottom of the 10th inning. And you know where we're going. Pack your bags, folks. All aboard. Next stop, pound time. And here's the 1-0 pitch to Matt. Swung on, launched to left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And a miraculous comeback by the A's in the ninth is capped by Matt Chapman's three-run home run. And the A's have won the game. You're now listening to The C-Meds with Adam Copeland and Ted Ramey, only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's the Seamheads Podcast, a new week of talking baseball without baseball. Adam Copeland, Ted Ramey, Rob, the Bermudez Triangle, and we're joined now by another special guest. We're going to keep rolling out the green carpet for our baseball guests while we're in this hiatus. We had Chris Bassett last week, and today we're joined by the voice of the Oakland A's, Ken Korak. Ken, it's great to have you, man. Well, it's good to be with you guys. How you all doing today? I think we're doing okay. I know Rob told you before we got started, uh, as, as good as can be expected without baseball. But what about you? What are you doing? Are you getting your fix somehow? Are you doing the, uh, the classic game rewatches? Are you watching old baseball movies? What are you doing to stay busy during the, uh, during the shutdown here? I think we're like everybody, my wife Denise and I, and I've been working from home a little bit. I've, it seems that I've had a couple of hours of work almost every day, which is good. I think it, it keeps me engaged. And some of the things that we're doing, I think, for the A's fans, you might have seen some of the, you know, the A's asked um, fans to send in videos of their kids playing ball in the backyard, and uh, we've been doing some of the play-by-play for that. So whatever we can do to try to um, provide a little diversion, I think, for people, there's only so much of the news you can watch. And uh, it's like a, a simpler time, I think, for everybody. So um, we're doing the best we can, and I, I think this is, you know, it's such a tough time for so many people physically and you know, emotionally and obviously financially that I think if we can play like you guys are doing, uh, play a little bit of a part to give somebody uh, something to think about beside uh, what's going on in their lives every day. You know, Ken, I wanted to ask you just how much this is a an aberration compared to every other spring you've had for almost the last 30 years. I was trying to think of a point of comparison for you, and I guess that would be 1995 when you were still with Chicago. But at that point, People, even as we headed towards the normal spring progression, there was already the sense that the season was going to resume, that we were going to have baseball after the work stoppage, just not quite on schedule. So how does this compare to that um, in terms of just being, um, you know, a a complete aberration from the norm for you? Well, it is. There's no doubt. In 95, you mentioned, um, you know, the strike year of the season ended prematurely in 94, started late. In 95, I actually was down in Florida uh, doing replacement ball, did a couple of those games. Then you had kind of the, the delayed uh, regular spring training. So that was unusual. And then for me, I've had a, you know, a couple of bouts with injuries. So I missed the early part of the season in 2012 after I had a knee replacement. Then I had some other issues with my knee in 15. So I missed the first half of the season then. But my first year broadcasting uh, full-time in the minor leagues was 1984. So we're going back 36 years. 
so it is. It's a, it's it's hugely different, I think, for me and for everybody. And uh, I haven't, you know, I've, we're thinking about baseball and trying to stay up with the news and uh, some of the information that's coming in. But I think all that pales in comparison, just trying to get our society back on track. And that would apply, of course, for the rest of the world. You know, when we talked to to Chris on Thursday, we asked how he's physically staying ready for baseball, how he's mentally staying ready uh, with pitchers. He, he was saying that there's a mental switch that gets flipped once you get back from the offseason and to kind of shut it all down and have to turn it back on. Are you doing anything in particular to stay ready? We're, you know, announcing little kids in their backyard hitting wiffle balls. Is that your your kind of spring training, your second spring training? Right. We've been doing a little bit of that, and I seem to be – I mean, people are looking for programming, so I've been doing uh, quite a few interviews, things like this, to be honest with you. And then um, the A's are playing classic games on A's cast. They've done a great job over there, and they're doing that every Friday. I've been recording some intros to those things. So I guess, um, you know, trying to keep the pipes limbered up. But um, like I said, that's kind of secondary, I think, right now. You know, uh, Ted mentioned, you know, seasons in the past that maybe didn't start on time or had longer layoffs before the season got going. I'm wondering about, like, in past, like, you think about some of the legendary players. Willie Mays maybe would have caught Babe Ruth, right, if he didn't have to go fight in the war in almost all of 52 and then all of 53, and he comes back and wins an MVP. Ted Williams, of course, was a, a storied military man in World War II. I'm just wondering, like, with this stoppage in player, if we end up with a shortened season, what kind of records could be at stake in the future? Will Mike Trout have trouble catching a home run record? Or will anything like that go down, you think, 10 or 15 years from now we'll see the effects on this? Well, sure. I mean, those things happened. Bob Feller was in World War II, and so many great stars um, served during that war. My father was stationed in England. He's still alive. He's 101 years old. So, yeah, but I think at this point we would take any season we could get and then think about the records after that. Um, I have no idea what might happen as far as the schedule if there is a resumption in play, but I think all those things would pale in comparison. But sure, you would always look back, um, and you could look back to the strike year of 94. Uh, Think about what might have happened that year individually and also with certain teams, especially the Expos. That really led to the demise of their, their franchise up in Montreal. Could have been Expos and White Sox in the World Series. You might have had a triple crown for uh, for Frank Thomas. Yeah, Sox had a really good year that year. Uh, got to the postseason the previous year. So, for sure, there are a lot of these things that happen. But I also look back on my life and the lives of a lot of other people. And this, you know, we've had it pretty easy, I think. And if you, you look at people like my father who lived through the Depression and lived and served in World War II. Ken, in in terms of some of the ideas that are being floated out there in, uh, about like baseball in front of new fans or trying to find a neutral location, um, just what are your thoughts on those? When we talked to Chris Bassett earlier this week, like Rob alluded to, he was not very big on the idea of playing in front of fans and thought it would be weird. And we, you know, kind of all referenced the game in Baltimore a couple years that was played uh, without fans there. But just your thoughts on some of the ideas that are being bandied about. Well, there's been a lot of stuff and there have been rumors and sometimes it's hard to separate the rumors from what actually is being considered. Uh, The latest one, of course, would be the thought of going down to Phoenix and playing games in spring training ballparks. I don't know how that would be feasible. They've talked about uh, sequestering everybody and kind of quarantining everyone. The other thing is having broadcast two seasons of AAA ball in Phoenix in the 80s, it's brutally hot there in the summertime. So there are a lot of logistic um, aspects to consider as well. 
the other thing would be, what do you do with the schedule? And let's say you're trying to condense things. So you're playing a lot of games in a short amount of time. Do you add a lot of double headers, take away days off? And then would you consider playing as you do in the minor leagues, in a double header to seven inning games? So I think a lot of those things would, would uh, still be determined. My feeling is let's just hope we have a chance to ponder those things a little more seriously. Ken, if you were the commissioner of baseball and, and it was up to you to making rules, what kind of rules would you like to implement? Do you want to see more double headers? Do you like the idea of seven inning games, expanded rosters? How would you kind of try to make this whatever length of time we might see work as a full season? You mean if we do resume and play this year? If we do, yes, the big if. Uh, I wouldn't have a problem with the double headers. I, I think that they take their toll and it, w- it wouldn't bother me if you played two seven inning games. I, I believe Rob Manfred was asked about that and he felt that kind of compromised the integrity of the game that baseball is supposed to be a nine inning game. Well, I think you throw a lot of those things out the window uh, in this season. I mean, you go back to uh, the way the game is normally played uh, next year, perhaps everything is okay by then. So that's, that's certainly one thing that I would really consider uh, the expanded roster, I think, would be a good idea because, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of ball players that are staying in shape and throwing and working out at home and doing what they can. But let's face it, when if play is resumed, you have to have some sort of spring training or summer training, and it's not going to be nearly as long as it would be normally. And so, uh, you know, it would be it's not that hard for the position players, but for the pitchers. I think the additional maybe two or three, or they're talking about maybe 29 players on a roster, I think it would really help the pitchers from that standpoint. Yeah, I think we all agree that with the situation being unprecedented, if you want to get back on the field at any point, just about everything, at least conversation-wise, has to be on the table. The question I ask, though, and I share your sentiment, Ted, that like uh, Ted and Rob and Ken, that, that everybody just wants to see baseball played at some point this year. My thought, though, is is when we talk about the sanctity of the game, how do you crown a champion? Like, how many games does it make to make a season? How many games does it take to make a season? Like, for example, if you played a 54-game schedule and for some reason the Indians broke their streak, would we call them World Series champions? Or would we do it tournament style and say, well, they're the, the baseball champions of, of 2020? What do you think about that? Does, it, does that change history at all? It's an excellent question. It really is. I would think if you played a 54-game schedule, well, you'd have to have an asterisk for sure. Uh, it might depend on how the playoffs are set up. Uh, if you could somehow play more games than that, get three months in, I think they would try if they could get back and play. And again, like um, Dr. Fauci has said, the virus will determine the timetable. But I, I would think they would try to play even through October. So if there was some way you could play 90 games or 100 games, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, for me, it's, it's really dangerous even to speculate because we have no idea what might happen. And, you know, so beyond that, I mean, it's, it's fodder for discussion, but I haven't really taken, to be honest with you guys, I haven't really taken hardly any of this talk real seriously right now. You know, Ken, there's one elephant in the room that we maybe haven't addressed yet. And I've been watching A's baseball my entire life. And I heard Billy Bean echo a sentiment I felt in the off season late January. He says this team is as talented or more talented than that 01 team of the Billy Bean era. And we're looking at this being one of the big years in Oakland A's history. And now it's just not happening. I mean, obviously the reasons why are extremely serious and that is first and foremost, but 
there is the fact that this A's team was setting up to be one of those great A's teams. The, you know, the amalgam of talents, the conglomeration of all these guys being young, still affordable and in their primes, it was seemingly all set up perfectly for this year. And now everything's just kind of thrown into the unknown. No question about that. I've said it before. I think this club is capable someday of winning a world series. I think a lot of that is going to depend on their young pitching. And if, Guys like Lozardo and Puck, if their talent comes to fruition, because you need dominant starting pitching in the postseason to win a World Series, they're young enough to think that even if we don't play this year, they may have a chance in the subsequent years to have the opportunity to go deep into the postseason. And we're not exactly sure how things will work out as far as free agents. And, and you know, Marcus Simeon obviously is in the last year of his um, under control with the athletics. Uh, so I don't know. A lot of that's going to have to play out down the road. Ken, just we we took a look back a, about a week ago at some of our favorite A's moments, and it got me thinking: what in your time broadcasting? What has been your favorite team, or, or like what season was it? The one A's was it? You know, a minor league team when you first got started. What was your favorite team to cover? And also, kind of on that similar vein, what was your favorite road ballpark to work at? <laughs> Those are great questions. You know, it's interesting because I did triple-A ball for five full seasons. And I did one full year in A-ball up in Roner Park for the Redwood Pioneers, long since deceased as a franchise. That club was an unbelievable single-A team. They won 53 games and lost 17 in the second half. So pretty hard to match that. They sent several players to the big leagues. But, you know, I don't really compare seasons that much. I haven't really thought about it a whole lot. Uh, I don't think anything would compare it to the last week of the season in 2012. And eventually, of course, he is winning uh, the last game of the season against the Rangers and winding up in first place in the only day of the year that mattered, game 162. It's also really hard to to match the 20-game winning streak. Uh, and the buildup there and the way that uh, the drama built to a crescendo and eventually the home run by Hatterberg that Bill King called. So, uh, I always thought the 2001 team was the best team the A's have had during the time that I've broadcast the games. I thought that club had a great chance to win a World Series. There's no reason to replay history and Jeter's slip and all that. But, you know, I just look back on my career. This is a, a long-winded answer, but I've been really fortunate uh, to have had 10 separate seasons in which the A's have been in the postseason. Three no-hitters, including a perfect game and a 20-game winning streak. So, uh, you know, I've been one of the luckiest people in the world to be, I've had nothing to do with it. I've just been there to, to try to chronicle it, of course. Well, you say that you've had nothing to do with it, except these are the moments that we tie to the broadcasters, right? You, you like to hear the, the Sean Manaya no-hitter and, uh, of course, the perfect well, game. Yeah. You Bill King tied to, yeah. to the Hatterberg home run. It's still serendipity, though. You know, we happen to be yeah. in the right place at the right time. But uh, they've been great moments, and they've been a tra- it's really been a lot of fun. Uh, to be able to be part of all that. And I, I just owe so much to the organization. And, you know, my broadcast partners and the A's fans have been so wonderful. So it's, it's really been a, it's been a great ride. Well, how about, how about what would have been this season? Who's, who's the player? I know we were all excited about A.J. Puck and, and Lazardo, and maybe Puck will benefit a little bit from, from being shut down for some period of time. But uh, who's the guy that you were most excited about this year? It could be a main guy. It could be seeing Sean Murphy. Who's the player you can't wait to get back out onto the field and see? Well, I really am intrigued by Luzardo because I think he's got a chance to be one of the elite pitchers in the game. Now, that's a lot to put on someone who hasn't 
pitch more than a handful of games in the big leagues, but just love watching him pitch. So he has a chance to be really special. Uh, the other guy that I think could take his game to the next level and really be a star is Laureano. Uh, this is a club that's riddled with stars. And it's one of the great things about it. You don't, as you guys know, you don't win unless you have players who make an impact. It's one thing to have a bunch of good players and you might have a decent season or an above average season with that. You don't win big unless you have impactful players and the A's have a bunch of impactful players. Ken, I'll ask if you're taking advantage of this time off. Are you uh, working on a new new book or spitballing any ideas on a uh, on your next writing project? <laughs> you know what? I have not. I think that the book writing that we're gonna have to put that away for a while. Um, I no, love the opportunity to have the chance to write two books, but I think that's probably gonna be it. The only thing that I have written, to be honest with you, and you know, it's just to pass the time because I love to write is. Um, I've kind of been writing the story of my dad's life a little bit, uh, because he's, he's had such a fascinating life. I mean, my dad was born literally during the flu epidemic of 18 and 19, and now he's still alive in 2020 is 101 years old. So, uh, in fact, things were so chaotic. He was born in February of 19. Things were so chaotic in the hospital where he was born in Akron, Ohio, that his birth wasn't recorded till the next day and his entire life for a century, all of his documents have his birthday wrong. It's off by a day. So he's, he was so instrumental and has been for me. He was a coach, sent a couple of guys to the big leagues. He coached high school and junior college baseball and basketball in uh, Southern California. He served in England during world war two. So he's still an inspiration to me. We talk every day on the phone. Uh, so that's the only bit of writing that I've been doing lately. Well, I'm going to tell my dad to keep on you on that because I know he's a big fan of your work as well. So uh, if I tell him you're thinking about not doing any more, he'll be uh, he'll be sure to send some uh, some mean spirited texts maybe to get you back on your horse. Well, Ted, you know your dad's one of my good friends. That's one of the hardest things now because we would have lunch on occasion over in the East Bay because we both kind of live up and down the 680 corridor, at least for me. You know, much of the year out there, and so you know you miss you miss that. So hopefully we can get back to a sense of normalcy. Ken, we're going to let you go. I just wanted to ask one more question. Each announcer has their own patented call for a home run for you, It's and you can watch it fly. How did you kind of come up with that? What was the – was it just a natural thing? You watched a home run happen and you said, oh, this just came out of you, or, or was there any thinking about it? I'm going to give you a really long and detailed answer. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I really don't, honestly, because for years, if you go back, you guys are <laughs> – you're probably too young, but if you go back to when I first started doing this and then 1996, my first year with the A's, I didn't have quote a home run call and people would ask me, how come you don't have a home run call? And I said, well, it hasn't come to me yet. I don't want to be one of these people that has a home run call that sounds rehearsed or contrived because I think ultimately you have to call what you see. And it just kind of, I don't, honestly, I don't know. It just kind of came to me one day. I did it a couple of times. It kind of, was fun to do. Uh, and then I added it a little bit. And then when I, after I had, we had published Holy Toledo and I was doing some book signings and fans would come up and they, they'd ask, can you, can you write, watch it fly when you sign your name on the book? And I thought, well, I guess people kind of think this is cool. And then I just started doing it more and, um, I've enjoyed it. And if A's fans get a kick out of it, um, then that's all the better, I guess. 
Well, t- uh, Ken, this is what this is all about, man. Getting your voice out there and, uh, and letting the fans hear you a little bit. We're missing baseball, but when we hear you chatting ball with us, it's, uh, it's a little bit of serenity, I think, at a time that's so uncertain. So we appreciate your time today, man. Well, I appreciate you guys saying that. I think what you're doing, things that like, like you're doing and with your podcast, I think it's really important right now. So I appreciate what you're doing. And I think um, A's fans and baseball fans in general appreciate it too. So um, anytime and thanks for having me on. Well, stick by the phone. We might take you up on that. So uh, if there's yeah. no ball, we can be talking to you sooner than later, Ken. So thanks again, man. It's it's not like my calendar is filled up every day, right? So thanks, <laughs> right, thanks right. again, you guys. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Ken. Thank you so much, Ken. Thanks, All Ken. Right. Anytime. Thanks. Good wide-ranging talk from uh, from Ken Korak, radio voice of the Oakland A's. We didn't even get a chance really to talk to him about doing the A's on A's cast this year. It was just good to get his voice. And uh, I don't know, man, something about hearing your play-by-play guys who call your games on the radio during a time where we don't have ball brings a little calm to me, a little peace of mind. How about you guys? Yeah, man, it actually made me realize how much I do miss listening to Ken on the radio because I, uh, I'm i a Ken head. Uh, the, the Korak is big in the Ramey household, or households, I should say. So I, I spend a lot of time listening to his work. So it's, uh, it's sad, man. Like I know we've gone down the, this sucks. I think I'm now on the, the sad portion of my progression of life without sports and stages of grief, Ted. It's all the stages of grief, man. It is. Yeah. Townie calls him the voice of summer. And I think it's with a good reason. The, the richness of his voice. There's something about it. It's a perfect baseball voice. And, and I think he's got, dare I say, a perfect AM radio voice. Like there's just, I can close my eyes and, and like be taken back to, to being in the car with my grandma, listening to A's games as we waited for my brother to get out of school, listening to, to Ken and listening to, uh, listening to Bill King as well. And it just, you know, it's one of those things you hear it, it immediately takes you right back and, and great stuff and such a well of knowledge too, not just Major League Baseball in 2020, but going back, I'm sure we could ask him about the old PCL, ask him about his time in Minor League Baseball. We could have hours and hours worth of content. Just a really, really interesting guy. Well, I'm surprised, and and because we're 23 minutes into this podcast and I haven't made fun of Rob or Ted yet because we had a guest on, I figure, uh, Ted, you side with me on this one. I'm surprised Rob's last question to to Ken wasn't who was going to have the highest ERA plus this year for the Oakland Uh, Yeah, I know. I thought it was going to be OPS plus (laughs) or, uh, or, you know, Who's got the best VORP? You know what? I'm getting tired of this. Obviously, it's who has the best XFIP. Yeah, and oh, Sierra. Thank you, thank you. Okay, those are who's, the two. Who's, uh, <laughs> whose bat radius is going to do the most damage this year, uh, Ted? Dude, the by, diameter by, by of the, the bat. Way, yeah. <laughs> I was in a discussion with some guys earlier today, and we were going over some monster OPS Plus seasons. Barry Bonds in 2004. 260 Best one ever, yeah. Plus. Oh, insane, yeah. dude. Or 268, he, hit 360, he hit 362 with 232 walks, dude. Yeah, he got like <laughs> one pitch to hit a week. It was ridiculous. Um, but then also Ricky Henderson, his 1990 season, his OPS was 1.018, which is uh, it's right up there with close to some of Mike Trout's best seasons. I don't remember the OPS plus off the top of my head, but I think it may have been 189. But uh, yeah, man, like just thinking about what we're like, we, we should be having these discussions as they pertain to games actively happening. And we're not. And it's just, that's ah, sad. As our guy, Jeremy Frank, big uh, MLB random sports, give him a follow. I, I, 
he's just always posting some insane information. Do you always check out his stuff when he talks about Barry Bonds? Like, if all of his hits that didn't go over the fence counted as outs, he'd still have an OPS of, like, over 900 during the season because <laughs> of the walks and the intentional walks and just how many home runs he was hitting. It's like, it's truly incredible the numbers that get put up and then you you put it in context and even when you say, okay, turn all of his singles doubles and triples into into strikeouts and he'd still have a better you know weighted runs created than than anyone else in the league it's truly fascinating stuff well it's it's uh we're probably going a little too heavy on barry bonds here at the end of an oakland ace podcast but um do yourself a favor and go check out the video uh, about whether or not if if barry had played the whole 04 season without a bat what his numbers would have been. <laughs> if he went up to every plate appearance without a bat, he still would have been like in the top half of the league in OBP. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll keep rolling out that green carpet for guests. Uh, try to keep you guys occupied, keep ourselves occupied and sane as we get through this, uh, this uncertain time. So we'll be back with you guys on Thursday talking more A's baseball. Talk to you guys then. <laughs>